watch football because I love it. I'm not a total nut. I know people who counted down the weeks until opening weekend. I'm not that crazy, but I guess to some people I'm a little crazy. Last Saturday, I got up early and uh, I knew I had a full day. I had to go visit with a family, planning a funeral, and, and I was going on a hike. And I set our TiVo to record the games I was interested in that day. And uh, partway through the day, I got a very terse text from my wife who got up and saw what I had done and the plan I had set on the TiVo. And I just got these three words on a text. Six football games with exclamation marks and question marks. More than letters, actually. It's a good question. Why would anyone record six football games? Well, any fan knows the answer because the other three were boring. I mean, who's going to record nine games? That's just crazy. That's, That's why I recorded six games. You know, I, I do love to watch football, and one reason is I'm kind of intrigued by the specialization of football. Do you ever think about that when you watch a football game? I mean, realize this. No one's on the field for more than half of the game. Right? You've got your offense, you've got your defense. And the people who play on the field, a lot of them don't ever touch the ball. Most players on a football team never touch the football. That's an odd thing to do in a game named after a ball. Okay? You've got some guys who throw it, some guys who run with it, some, a couple guys who kick it. But you've got a whole lot of guys who never touch it. Their whole role is to just smash people in front of them. Isn't that right, coach? Smash the guy in front of you and, and make sure that he doesn't get to the guy who you're trying to protect who does get to carry the ball. Really, football is a game of specialists, especially when you compare it to my favorite game. And you see, I've mentioned this before, basketball is my favorite game. Get ready, y'all. It's the game of heaven. So we're going to be playing basketball for a long time. Come on, coach. Come on. We're going to be playing basketball for a long time. And compared to football, my basketball roles are so fluid. Everybody plays offense. Everybody plays defense. Everybody gets to touch the ball. Everybody passes and dribbles and shoots and rebounds. And everyone does pretty much everything. And you might assume, if you aren't aware of the details that roles in basketball are much less important than roles in football. But that would be false. Everyone who watches the game knows that a really good team, everybody knows what their role is in basketball. They're not wearing a number that dictates their role, like football. If you're in the 70s in football, you're not going to touch the ball. You're going to be hitting people all day long, right? But, But everybody gets to touch the ball in basketball. The roles aren't as clearly defined, but... Every good basketball team has role players. And a good coach has told each player, here's what we need from you. Here's your role on this team. I know you want to shoot a lot. You can't shoot a lot. You are going to rebound. You are going to play defense. we got guys who can shoot. We don't need that from you. So even where it doesn't look like the roles are so important, roles always matter in sports. And it shouldn't surprise us that roles matter in this series we're talking about for these last few weeks. We're talking about you plus me. We're talking about relationships, specifically marriage, primarily marriage, but not limited to that. And it shouldn't surprise us that husbands and wives, according to God's word, have roles that we need to play. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, I'm keenly aware that the very phrase, husbands and wives' roles, well, I have to acknowledge a couple of things as we start. First of all, this is going to sound really old-fashioned today. And there's no way around it. If you're old enough, you might be thinking black and white television. As I tell you the stories of husbands and wives, this is what it was like back in the 50s. Are we still thinking like that? And in fact, in a lot of ways, our society has gone past all this. Our society has in some ways rejected much of what we're talking about today. But I want us to ask this question as we realize this is going to sound old-fashioned. 
moving past something doesn't always mean moving forward. Sometimes when we redefine things in ways that seem okay for us, it doesn't always work so well, does it? Example, last week, Pastor John talked about sexuality in marriage. And there's no doubt that we as a society have totally redefined sexuality. We've redefined the parameters under which sexual activity is considered normal and okay. How's that new definition working for us? Apart from the spiritual side, how's it just working practically? Well, with one-third of the nation dealing with a sexually transmitted disease, that would say something. With, uh, with se- uh, human trafficking for sex purposes rampant around the globe, with kids being sexualized younger and younger, I think we'd have to scratch our heads and say, you know, that new definition isn't working out so well. In a similar way, we as a culture have redefined in some ways totally rejected the idea that roles even matter. They're outdated. We're beyond that. But could anyone make a case that families today are more stable than they were when the things I'm talking about were more broadly accepted? Can anyone say that we're better off because of this redefinition? I think it's the opposite is true. A case can be made that things are a lot worse and many of you in this room bear scars because you've been raised in families that rejected that whole idea and you lived through the consequences of it. So I recognize as we start that this is going to sound old-fashioned, but that's okay. I embrace that. I accept it. It's not always a bad thing. But secondly, I acknowledge that this is a delicate topic for many. This is going to be an emotional day for some of you. There were tears in the first service as we talked about this. The topic's full of landmines, and it's certain to arouse emotions. Some will think I go too far today. Some might think I don't go far enough. (laughs) And in the midst of uh, internal reactions to all of what you're going to hear, there might be some pushback inside you. There might even be some anger. And if that's the case, then between the three of us, me, Ron, and John, it's probably good for me to be the one that addresses this issue. Because I'm older than they are, and if you get mad at me, I'll die sooner. (laughs) And you won't be mad as long as you would have been with one of those guys, all right? So I'm probably the right guy to talk about this. Now, now we chuckle, but I, I do want to recognize, especially for the ladies, there's a good chance that you've lived with a man who exploited the ideas you'll hear today and used them against you to cause you pain. Maybe it was a father, maybe it was a husband, maybe it is a husband. And I realize in some ways you might feel like we're picking at a scab today. And I hope you'll recognize by the time we're done that what happened to you was a caricature, a twisted perspective on what we're talking about, not the real deal. Some men are going to say, as you hear the role God has set out for you, you're going to say, I tried that and I got cut off at the knees. Why would I ever go down that road again? Friends, I recognize there are landmines here, but I also recognize that we need to come humbly to a a study like this one, to the passage we'll look at today. We have to come and say, even though some of our ideas, uh, we might have trouble embracing this still, the ways we've redefined things in our day aren't working for us. They're not making things better, they're making things worse. So with that humility in mind, I invite us to take a really good look at the roles of husbands and wives. For some of you, it'll be a first look. You're not married now. Maybe you never have been. You you might be one day, and this is your first real consideration of saying, what role am I going to play one day? And you have time 
to ask God to shape you to be the person that he wants you to be if one day he puts you into this marriage situation. And because you have that time to plan, believe me, there are people in this room who envy you. There are people in this room who wish they had some of these things in mind when they started off on this path. So I hope you'll be ready. If this is new, it's a new look. That's okay. For others of you, I'm sorry, this is the first look. For others, it's a new look. You are in, let's say, a rough marriage. You know it's not sustainable. At the pace you're going, you wonder how long one or the other of you can, can last. And you badly want to make it better. Maybe you've already left behind a broken marriage. And you're wondering if it ever happens to you again, are you condemned to recreate the same painful circumstances you did the first time around? Will this happen again automatically? I hope you know that by taking this new look, it is possible to do things differently next time. Some of you are in a a good marriage. It's not a crisis. It's not a problem. But you're smart enough to recognize you're never done learning. You're never done becoming the person, the man or the woman God wants you to be. And there's always ways to grow. And with that in mind, you're ready to take a fresh look at the roles that God has laid out. I hope we'll all come, whatever our background might be, whatever baggage we brought into the room in this area, I hope we're all ready to acknowledge this, that as the creator of marriage, God knows best how it should work. And we do well to hear what he has to say. You ready to do that with me? All right, let's ask him to speak so we can hear. Lord, would you open our hearts and open our minds? Would you help us to set aside whatever presuppositions we bring to this conversation? Would you open us to what your spirit has to say? And would you speak? Because your servants are listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The most detailed description of the roles of husbands and wives is found in the book of Ephesians. So if you turn there in your New Testament, uh, I would appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible with you, slip your hand up in the air. We've got some volunteers in the back who will come down and provide you with one. You are very welcome to hang on to that if you like, by the way. The book of Ephesians is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving all kinds of instruction. We're going to begin a verse earlier than most sermons on this topic. We're going to begin at Ephesians 5, verse 21, looking at the instructions God gives to everybody. This is not limited to a husband or a wife or the marriage situation. We're starting with universal command. And here's what it says in Ephesians 5:21: Submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. Now this command is found in a a chapter full of commands. This is one of those laundry list chapters where it seems like God is saying, here's the expectations I have for people who follow me. He's saying all through this chapter, if you want to follow Jesus, and if you want the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, here's what should set you apart. Here's what should be different in your life compared to someone who doesn't know Christ like you do. There's a whole list of them. Verse 1 begins by saying, walk in the way of love. Love should characterize you. Verse 4 goes on to say, watch what you say. Your words can be powerful for good or for ill. So be careful with what you say. Verse 8 says, live as children of light, not in the darkness. Verse 18 says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be so controlled by God that it's, it acts in the same way alcohol controls the person who's drunk. But no, the Holy Spirit controls you. And then finally he says, give thanks to God for everything. This is a list of expectations, yes, that God has on those who follow him. These are commands. And in the midst of that, we get to this one. 
Submit to one another, all believers submitting to one another, other believers, out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? That means that instead of imposing my rights on you, as my brother or sister, instead of expecting you to meet my needs and recognize my status and admire me for whatever reason I might be seeking admiration, I lay aside my rights and I embrace my responsibility to you because you matter. You're a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm instructed in God's word to submit to you as we're all instructed to submit to one another. That means I think about you, not me. I'm concerned about your needs, not mine. I celebrate your victories because we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to weep with people who are weeping. We're called to bear each other's burdens like we saw this last summer in Galatians chapter 6. The heart that obeys this command looks around a room like this and says, these people matter to me and I submit myself to them. I don't expect anything from them. I come to give to them, to pour into them. And the reason I'm called to that and we are called to that is out of reverence for Christ. In other words, because I think highly of Jesus, I'm called to think highly of you. And we are all called to think highly of one another. And your needs should matter to me in the same way the needs of his people matter to Jesus. Because I revere him, we matter to one another. Jesus modeled this powerfully all through his life, but maybe more powerfully on the day when at the end of a long day of travel, read this in the Gospels, they got to a home where for some reason a normal procedure had been skipped and forgotten. They'd been traveling all day and they were dirty and dusty and no one had washed their feet. And Jesus was there as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the Rabbi and the Master and the Savior. And he could have said, hey, send a slave to fix this. My men deserve better. He could have called someone else to do that, but you know what he did. He got up, the Bible says, and wrapped a towel around himself, got a basin of water, got down on his hands and feet, and began washing the dirty, stinky, scummy feet of the men he cared about. Picture that. Maybe you'll understand Peter's reaction that day when he looked at the king of kings on his knees, washing his feet and saying, I can't tolerate it. No, this is wrong. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter is very, very right. I'm not just doing this to do it. I'm doing this so you will do what I have done for you. He'd already explained to his men that the one who wants to be great among you will be the servant of all. That's how it works, Jesus says, in my kingdom. So there he was submitting himself to the needs of his people And out of reverence for Christ, we are called to do the same. Now, let me ask you this. Did his submission to the needs of his disciples, did that diminish him in any way? Did he become less king of kings, less lord of lords when he got down on his hands and knees and washed feet? No. If anything, it didn't diminish him. It elevated servanthood because he remained exactly who he was all along. He didn't become inferior Because he submitted. And who are we to do less than our king? So this passage begins with this call on everyone to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what God says to everybody. Now let's get more specific. What does he say to wives? The instructions begin in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body 
of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Friends, this passage is a battleground. And when we read it with the ears of our culture, oh, it just sounds odd, doesn't it? Maybe even bristling a little bit. But that's because I think the words are misunderstood. Some ladies read this and say, the Bible says I should be inferior to my husband. But wait a minute, didn't we just recognize that submission doesn't change your value? Didn't change Jesus' value or importance? Submission isn't a matter of I'm less and you are more. It's a recognition that there's a moment of servanthood here. There's a role I'm called to play. And it doesn't deal with importance. It doesn't deal with superiority or inferiority. No, friends, we submit all the time to people who we don't see as superior to us. We're called by the Bible to submit to our governing authorities, right? Anyone think they're superior to you? Anyone think they're going to get better in the next six months? Let's not go down that road, okay? But let's face it. We, we don't necessarily think, oh, these folks are way up here better than us and we're way down here lower. No, but God calls us for the system to work. We're called to submit to those decisions. Submit Now, in our culture, we get to vote for them. That's not true around the world. It wasn't true in Christ's day. And that submission was still called for. So we submit all the time to people who we know are not superior to us. It's just a role we are called to play in that context. So please, let's not misunderstand this as a matter of value or importance. The other way this is misunderstood is when you read it, and sometimes this is thrown at people, primarily at ladies, who walk away thinking, the Bible says my husband can do whatever he wants, up to and including hurt me, and I can do nothing about it. Friends, that's a misunderstanding of this passage. We're going to get to the requirements for men, for husbands, in just a minute. But please, although we know this verse is used by abusers to impose control on women, sadly, in many cases. That's a misuse of the verse. Please don't let it be misused in your lives. And please know, ladies, that if you were to come forward and say, my husband is hurting me, this isn't the verse we would turn to. Because it's not the only verse in the Bible. There's others that talk about coming to the help of the, of the helpless, coming to support the oppressed. Those are the verses that will come into play in a moment like that. So let's not abuse this verse and let's not misuse it and allow it to be misused around us. If it doesn't mean those two things, what does it mean? Well, simply it means this, that as in all of his creation, God has instituted structures of responsibility and authority. It should not surprise us that in this invention of his, there is also a structure put in place. And in that structure, the husband is the head of the wife and the head of the family. That word head doesn't include simply authority to do what he wants. It includes responsibility. It means I, as a husband, am going to answer to God for my role in the life of my wife. That I'm going to stand before him and, and, and give an account for the way I served as the head of my wife. It's a heavy responsibility, a significant one. And wives are called in this structure to recognize that authority that God has put in place, do what they can to make their husband's job easier, not harder, not to chafe at that role, but to accept it. And later on, we'll see to add the word respect to it. So these are what, this is what God says to wives. But let's move on now to what God says to husbands. Follow with me, verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but a holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Okay, man, we turn to you now. We turn to us now. Did you notice, first of all, we needed two slides to contain the instructions to the husbands? There's more here than there was to the wives. It's a longer passage. It's not just longer. It's scary. Because it starts by saying to the husbands, love your wives. How? Well, as Christ loved the church. That's all. I just got to be like Jesus. That's all. It means I, as a husband, my love for my wife, her nickname is Murph, My love for Murph is going to be compared to Christ's love for his church. I will be evaluated as a husband by being compared to the standard of how Jesus treats his people. Wow. That's huge. That's daunting. That makes my legs tremble a little bit. And if it doesn't, you, there's something wrong. Because that is a huge task. It's an incredible mission. Because how does Jesus treat His bride, the church. How does He treat His people? Oh, the the love He has for us. I'll just give a a partial list. It says I'm supposed to lead her toward holiness the way Jesus leads His people toward holiness. That means my role as a a leader, a shepherd in my home is to to help her grow in Christ-likeness. Okay, that's that's a lifelong task. It also says I'm supposed to selflessly seek her best. In the same way that Jesus selflessly sought the best of his people, up to and including giving his life for his bride. Am I ready to give my life for my wife? And in some ways, frankly, that decision would be easier than another one. Sounds awful, but okay, let's say a guy came into our house with a gun and was going to kill somebody. Would I jump in front of my wife and take the bullet? I hope so. But that decision is relatively easy because you make it once. It's a lot harder to wake up every morning and say, today I probably won't have a chance to die for my wife, but I've got a chance to live for my wife. I've got a call from God to wake up and say, how can I nurture her? How can I care for her? How can I show her how significant she is in my life? And give her no doubt whatsoever today how much her husband loves her. What a task. What a mission every day. So it it tells me as a husband that I should love my wife like Christ loves the church. That's not all it says. It says to love my wife, love your wives, husbands, as you love your own bodies. And some ladies are saying, well, he sure does love his body. That's for sure. (laughs) You know the old saying, when a, a thin woman looks in the mirror, what does she see? A heavy woman. And she's distressed by what she sees. A wimpy guy looks in the mirror and sees a Greek god. And that's why we flex, right? That's why we check out the muscles. Come on, look at me. I'm doing pretty good. Okay? We, we do, men, more than our ladies have this, this love affair with how we look. But, but the point here is because we take care of our body, hopefully we nurture and cultivate our bodies toward health. We feed it when it's hungry. We treat it when it hurts. 
We, we, we keep it in shape. In the same way we give attention to that, we're called by God to love the women that He puts in our lives, our wives, in the same way. And there it's a matter of cherishing and nurturing and cultivating. Friends, this is what the command is about. This is God's instructions to men. If He puts a wife in your life, this is how He wants us to view her. And yes, we will one day give an account for how we treat her and our model will be Jesus. Friends, we'll get to our reaction to that in just a minute. But before we do that, what does God say about the goal? He could have stopped with the advice to husbands. In some ways, the instructions are complete, aren't they? He talked to everybody. He talked to wives. He talked to husbands. But he goes a little further. Fascinating end to this passage says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis chapter 2 when God invented marriage. He had got the man and the woman and he put them together. This is one of the most quoted passages in all of the Bible, by the way. So marriage matters to God. So this quotes that passage that refers to marriage, obviously. But now he says this. This is a profound mystery. Well, what's so mysterious? Because, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was about just us. I thought it was about families and husbands and wives. No, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's something mystical in this. I'll get to it in a minute. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Friends, what is this passage saying? Well, it's saying there's more to this than just us. We are so prone to think it's, everything's about us. We, we, we're prone to think God created the universe to be our playground. And then we read the verse that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Oh, it's about more than just me, isn't it? The sexuality is given to us just, just as fun. And we realize, no, it's, it's meant when the two become one, we understand better how three could be one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's meant to help us grasp God. And now we read this verse and find out that what looks to be just for us to have a partner for all of our lives and not be lonely, no, it's about much more than that. See, he's saying this relationship of husband and wife is meant by God to be a teaching tool to explain how Jesus relates to his church. What that means is if God, if we live it the way God wants us to, then people understand him better. It's something he can point to and say, this is meant to prepare you to understand truth about God. What that means is I I hope and pray desperately that my two daughters can say, they're 28 and 23 now, I hope they can say, I understand the loving leadership of Jesus Christ over His people a little better because I see glimpses of it in my dad and the way he treats my mom. It, it makes sense to me. I hope they say, in fact, I know they can, they can say, we understand better how the church is supposed to relate to Jesus and His authority and his and to live in submission to him because we see it in our mom it's like the way mom relates to dad but only better friends when we achieve the goals that god has set for us it's not just that our lives are more enjoyable and our families are more stable that's good but we then become a tool god can point to and say this is me this is the mystery it's christ and the church what an incredible honor to be used by God to teach truth about Him. 
And that's exactly why this battle is worth fighting, friends. That's why it's worth it to go against, swim upstream against the cultural expectations of our day. Because this is different from what is often taught and embraced and expected. But the bottom line is the roles are very clear. They're crystal clear. So clear that I can't move to that slide. There we go. Husbands, this is what we are called to. A role of loving leadership in our home. Christ-like loving leadership. Ladies, this is what your role is. A role of respectful submission. Church-like respectful submission. How does this work in real life? Does this work in real life? Let me give you an example. And it's always a little daunting to use your own family as an example in a sermon like this because it gives the impression that you always have it right, and we don't. Please, please know know that that's true. But in one case, I think we got it right. Specifically, I think my wife got it right. Several years ago, we were living in France, had been for about nine years. Both of our girls had been born in France. And by that point, we were comfortable enough and, and loved the language and loved the culture. We figured this was life for us. Our girls would grow up and marry French guys, have French grandkids, and we'd retire one day and sip latte and eat baguettes for the rest of our lives uh, somewhere in France. And that was not an unpleasant thought to us until one day I got a, a request from a church in Southern California saying, Mike, would you consider coming to join our staff? It's a church we had declined two years earlier. And this time they said, we understand you're coming to a finish line in your current ministry. When that's done, at your convenience, would you consider joining us? Right away I began contemplating that, praying about it, thinking through it, and it appealed to me. Something in it tugged on me. My wife, it was clear, was not on the same page. Uh, she, was a, she had a mission passion long before mine. I in some ways caught up to her when it came to a desire to see Christ known around the world. She was my model in that in many ways. And we had enjoyed 15 years of doing that. And here we were, here I was, contemplating a significant change. And we talked about it, hours. And, and I heard her say, Michael, you're talking about leaving a country that has not enough trained Christian workers and going to a church that has 12 pastors already. Does this make sense? I said, I hate it when you make sense. (laughs) And even though this was her her sense on it, even with it seeming in some ways illogical, I still was feeling drawn to it. And it became clear that we were not on the same page. And we knew most of our married life that this kind of decision would ultimately be mine. But I can tell you in 34 years of marriage, I think I can count on the fingers of one hand how many times I've had to exercise that authority. Because usually we're able to take our time, talk through it, and get to the same place. This was a case where there was a ticking clock and a church waiting for an answer. And it was clear that we weren't going to be on the same page. I still remember the day she went for a walk, a prayer walk, and came back and said, well, I need to tell you what, where I am now. She said, I don't have to agree with it to recognize that it's what you think we should do. And I'm going to trust that God is in it. So let's go. I said, it's about time you knew I was right. No, that's not what I said. Tempted as I might have been. (laughs) No, her response, believe me, her response made me take such a deep breath and ask myself, am I worthy of the trust of this woman? Am I sensitive? Is Is this me or is this God? And it put me back on my knees, our knees, 
And ultimately, obviously, we decided to say yes to that church. And she trusted me, and we came. And 14 years later, we now agree that God was in it. But in her case, it took a couple of years for her to see it. And in that time frame, well, I was praying still. Because in the meantime, she had a car accident that put her in a life of lifelong pain that we, she would not have had if I had not brought us back. You better believe that weighed on me. Some other time I'll tell you what brought her to the point of seeing that God's hand was in it. But what I want to hold her up as is an example of how it can work. This is one time we got it right. And, and I wanted to lead her well because she trusted me so much. So friends, the, the roles are clear. God doesn't stutter. And as you look at this, there's a, at least three possible reactions to what you see on the screen. You might be saying, okay, I, I open my mind. I, it seems all outdated, but I see it now and I still don't like it. Okay, I can't change your mind. But realize that you've then got to come up with your own roles. And history says we're not very good at that. So I hope you'll consider the, the play the coach is calling <laughs> because this is his. Some of you might be saying, I can't play my role until my partner does. And friends, I hope you know, I, I know how incredibly hard it is to be the only one committed to these principles. To, to be the one in your home, in your marriage, that says this is the kind of marriage I want and it's not being returned. Believe me, I know what a challenge that is. But I still think, rather than saying I won't play my role, Rather than saying I can't play my role, the real thing is I won't play my role until my spouse does. I won't love her until she respects me. I can't submit to him until I know he loves me. I realize how tempting that position is. But I don't want you to connect your obedience to the obedience of anybody else. We're going to stand before God one by one, not two by two. And, and if you are able, with God's help, to say, wake up in the morning and say, although it's not going to be returned probably today, I will commit myself to playing the role God has made me for in my marriage. Friends, I can tell you this for sure. In the same way my wife's respect of my decision inspired me to lead her well, if you commit to your role, it's more likely to help your partner commit to that role. And if you refuse until he or she straightens up, that's less likely to happen. So can I give you Galatians 6 verse 9? Do not grow weary in doing good, because in so doing you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Friends, it's a good thing to wake up in the morning and say, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to play my role today in my marriage. That's a good thing. Don't grow weary in it. I know some marriages that years later reap the fruit of that. And I urge you to think in that direction. Finally, others of you might be saying, I see it. I get it. I don't see how I can do that. It looks impossible to me. It's beyond me. I'm too stubborn to change. I'm too proud to submit. I'm too selfish to love. I'm too wounded to care. Any one of those could be going through your mind. And if that's where you are, I am so glad. Because you get it. You realize this will not be possible unless God works on you. And boy, is that a safe place to be. That's a wonderful place to be. When God gives us a, gives us a mission that is impossible to achieve without His help, 
without turning to him and saying, God, you've got to change me if you want this to happen in my family. You've got to change my family if you want this to be true about us. You want to use us as a teaching tool? You've got to go to work. Lord, start with me. Boy, if that's where we are, that's a great place to be. And that's what we're praying today for every family in here. I'm going to give you a minute to pray that yourself. To take a minute of silence in whatever area of your life, whatever obstacle you see in your heart to being the person God wants you to be and your spouse deserves you to be, I'm going to invite you now to make it a matter of prayer and to not stop in the next minute and a half. But carry it into your life as a matter of prayer. Take a moment of silence. Let's pray. We thank you for making our roles so clear, and we thank you for making them so challenging. We thank you that we can't reach those roles. We can't cross that finish line without the work of your Spirit changing us, molding us, and shaping us, and we submit to it right now. We pray that we will be, by your grace, the people our partners need us to be, whether those partners are in the present or in the future. Lord, we pray that you will continue to change us so that we can honor you, even if you change no one else in our family. Would you start the work with us and give us the privilege of representing you, of obeying you even when it's hard, and as a result of that, honoring you. Lord, make this happen for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.